This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. Skin. It is your largest organ, but do you know what you are putting on it may be contributing to your health problems? Well, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking to Charles Mayfield, who is CEO of Farolite, a skin care product company. We're going to be talking everything skin health, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, and why his products are revolutionary in the field of skin health. Let's dive in. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we have another great conversation lined up for you. We have the best voice in skincare, who will hopefully make you have the best face in skincare or in life as well. So that's Charles Mayfield from Pharaoh. Charles, how are you doing today? Tristan, I'm doing great. Uh, it's great to be here with you and Ryan. And uh, man, we've been Gosh, how long ago did we our paths cross? We've been hoping to get together for a while, so it's a it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, one of the first beef initiatives are, are on Twitter almost a year ago now. So time's flying by, and yeah, it's always a pleasure, kind of circling back to these you know connections and conversations. That's why I'm so glad we started this podcast, and yeah, we can just dive a little bit deeper and, and get to know each other even better and have that as a resource for, for our listeners. But yeah, Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. I'm excited to get my uh, get the knowledge to help my skin glisten. Also, Charles, I, I thought of this the moment I saw you when you hopped on, but I didn't say anything because I was a little nervous. But I love your mustache. I think you <laughs> look better with a mustache than without the mustache. So keep the mustache is, is the premise of today. Well, I, I, Ryan, thank you. I, there's an origin story behind the mustache. It's we'll uh, get into it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's hear maybe a little bit about the origin story of Smart Lard, Pharaoh Skincare. I've heard it a little bit. It's uh, quite a good one. And then I think it'll be nice to set the scene about just kind of discussing. It might be one of the fastest growing, you know, things in the health space or, or skincare for sure is just animal based products, which is awesome. And I think you're definitely one of the early pioneers. There's still not a lot of people doing lard based. So I'm curious to dive into the differences there, fat profiles, etc. But yeah, how did you come upon this moment to where you realize that animal fat is great for skincare. Yeah. So, uh, Pharaoh sort of represents a, a, a coalescence of regenerative farming, uh, health, health and wellness. Uh, I have a background, you know, ran a CrossFit gym for a number of years and strength and conditioning and, um, uh, have co-authored a number of cookbooks and, you know, coincidentally, Ryan, the uh, origin story of Pharaoh uh, is in lockstep with the origin story of the mustache. So maybe we can kill two birds at one stone here. But uh, yes, uh, was introduced to the CrossFit scene back in 2008. I would even going back further than that, just grew up in my my mom's kitchen and my dad's wood, wood shop. So always sort of enjoyed tinkering and work, working with my hands. It's one of the reasons sort of the cookbooks came along. But uh, yeah, in 2008, 
eight. Uh, I was living in Atlanta, uh, ran across CrossFit, uh, you know, hook, line, and sinker, just loved it. Uh, right up to the point I jacked my back up pretty bad. But, uh, but yeah, CrossFit introduced, um, introduced me to Rob Wolf and uh, had a fortunate uh, chance meeting of him at, at one of his CrossFit nutrition certifications. Uh, for those that have been around long enough, you'll grin at the uh, idea of a nutrition certification. But yeah, he was the one that turned me on to paleo. Um, uh, Julie, my, my ex-wife and I got pretty deep in the weeds with paleoifying uh, all sorts of recipes. She's grew up as a cook and, and had worked a lot in, um, in food service catering. And so, yeah, we, we fashioned a book. Uh, it was, I think, uh, by my recollection is correct. It was the second or third, uh, paleo cookbook in the space. Lauren Cordain had come out with a book. He's sort of the, the godfather of paleo, if you will, sort of the, the teacher of Rob, if you will. And, um, so Lauren had a book, but it was a cookbook with no pictures, which is not a successful model for cookbooks. And then uh, there was Sarah Fragoso. Uh, Everyday Paleo was her book. And I think Paleo Comfort Foods dropped shortly after Sarah's book hit the market. So we were we were early in the cookbook space to paleo. And fascinating community. Fast forward, uh, we started getting into the paleo. Uh, there was a Paleo FX, Paleo FX, uh, conferences that cranked up in Austin, Texas in 2012. And so we were obviously there being these new rising cookbook stars. And it was really there in Austin over the next couple of years where I started to, to get to know uh, regenerative farming. Uh, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund was a, had a booth there, Weston A. Price, you know, a lot of these other, you know, sort of holistic uh, eat, eat, real food, um, secure real food, all that. And so took my first, in fact, I just put a blog post together. I got to get it up. Um, took my first uh, pilgrimage to Polyface Farms in I think 2013 and met uh, Joel Salton. And so anyway, I got the farming bug in 2016, uh, moved out of Atlanta, sold sold uh, the gym, moved up here. Uh, back home, I'm I'm originally from East Tennessee um, to to start farming, and uh, you know, in terms of the origin stories of Pharaoh, uh, you know, so there, there's a there's a piece of it like I I like to tinker in the kitchen. Uh, we we hand make all of our creams, and, and it's it's kitchen work, you know, at the end of the day, and then uh, you know the 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 regenerative farming. Uh, aspect that sort of folded in in 2016 um, was growing pork, beef, chicken, eggs, and of course saving the fat. The cooking background, you know, sort of threw me over here in the render some fat to make lard situation. And then, uh, and then in 2019, <clears throat> in 2019, I, I talk about this origin story on the website, but it was it. it this is this is exactly how it went down. We had started a hemp company. I don't know if y'all remember, but they they nationally relaxed a lot of the uh, federal laws around hemp. Uh, same plant as marijuana, but you know different, obviously concentrations of uh, THC. And so, yeah, we we started a company, uh, raised a bunch of money, and we were we were full on hemp farmers. And so it was July fifth, two 
2019, uh, I had been in the fields, if you will, uh, for two straight days and, and just absolutely got cooked. You know, uh, most folks I know what a, most folks I spoke, speak to know a bad sunburn, you know, that lobster red, you just, you know, your whole body is just on fire. And, and that's really sort of how I came home, uh, July 5th, 2019, uh, Julie and I at the time were going through our divorce. And so, you know, I think she was out of town for 4th of July with the kids. So it's, you know, for the setting, you know, at this beat to death for two days in the field farmer comes home, uh, absolutely barbecued. Uh, to an empty house, I have my dog, but you know, an empty house. Uh, I live in a small town, so all the drugstores are closed, medicine cabinets empty, and I just sort of had this epiphany. I'm like, you know, I've got this lard that I'm cooking with in the in the fridge. Why not, you know, lather up with it? And so that's what I did, and uh, and uh, I put it. I, I I put a healthy dose. For anyone that's used our creams, you know, it goes on pretty thick. A little goes a long way. I put a put a healthy dose on, rubbed it all over. And, you know, lo and behold, in like literally a matter of minutes, it was completely gone from the surface of my skin. Like it, my skin, you know, literally ate, absorbed this stuff. And I thought, wow, that's cool. You know, took a shower, went to bed, got up the next morning, lathered up again. That's a term I'm trying to popularized now is lathering and uh yeah lathered up the next morning so that was it just twice and uh you know Tristan in a day or two my sunburn was gone which was which was fantastic uh but you'll know this you know whenever you do like these dietary interventions or you make a change you know you you, you pay attention right and so I, you know I've had paleo journeys and keto journeys and whole 30s and all that and so when the sunburn went away, I thought, that's cool. And so I every day I would check morning and evening. I checked my skin for probably three weeks. And I never peeled, like not one stitch. You know, sometimes you'll get that like grainy peel on your, on your shoulder because the skin's always moving. Not one bit did I peel. And that was really the light bulb moment. And so you know, again, background and tinkering around in the kitchen, get on the Google and it's like, how do you make, you know, cream? And, and so, um, that's, that's the origin story. I started playing around, uh, you know, probably the next month with emulsifying, you know, again, you go to Google DIY creams and it's emulsify water with fat. And so I had the beeswax and all the, you know, I, I hell, I've still got some of the ingredients. Um, you know, because bee, beeswax is good forever. And so I've still got bags of that stuff. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code TRISTAN, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10, for 10% off your first order. Dang, that's like incredible, actually, especially like with the sunburn stuff. I mean, me and Tristan talk about sunburn and sun exposure all the time and how to optimize your skin to receive UV light and all that type of stuff. 
Um, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty minimalist when it comes to skincare. Like I have some beef tallow products. That's why I'm kind of excited to talk about lard because I really don't know anything about the differences or the application or maybe the potential benefit that I'm missing. So like I have beef tallow soap, I have some other stuff that's like beef tallow based, and it's definitely better than any sort of the chemical things you're going to buy at the store. And I sort of want to start there too, because I don't think people realize what they put on their skin has a dramatic impact and not only like the skin biome itself. And a lot of people don't understand how important the skin biome is or all the things that can contribute to poor skin health, like eczema, dry skin, psoriasis, and then even developing sunburn. Like you just explored the idea of of all these sort of dietary changes and and skin health and sunburn effects, as well as you know what you put on your skin affecting that as well. So I think there's a lot of these nuances. I kind of like to start just talking about maybe where your journey began with with um with developing your current product because I've seen your product being used by a lot of my friends on social media. I've seen Faro around and I've always been a little curious, but like I said, I'm kind of a minimalist, so I don't like to dive in without really knowing more. So that's why this is a really cool opportunity for me. And also uh, my girlfriend who I'm going to make watch this afterwards because she's really big into skincare and uses literally all the wrong things. Not all the wrong things. She's in the right direction with sulfates and stuff, but all the wrong things. So firstly, let's kind of start with what's the difference maybe between beef tallow Base products and then lard based products. Like, what is what's the chemical makeup difference? Maybe what are the benefits that are not in beef tallow? Because I think primarily people are using, at least right now, beef tallow products. So, explain sort of the difference and why you've gotten into lard products in the first place. Sure. So, um, okay. So, so jumping back to like big picture answering your question. So, Tallow, uh, tallow is a ubiquitous term for the rendered visceral fat of a ruminant. Okay, so you can have the most common tallow is beef tallow, but you can have bison tallow, elk tallow, deer tallow, goat tallow for that matter. Um, and so tallow is this, again, sort of placeholder term for any and all rendered ruminant uh, visceral fat. Okay, so let, let, we'll back up from there. We have two predominant types of fat as a mammal, okay? We have, we have subcutaneous fat, everyone's familiar with. That's the belly fat, back fat. That's the bacon fat, right, if, to, to keep it on the, on the pig front. So subcutaneous fat biologically functions as a storage mechanism. And this, this is very important. And so when we, as a species, metabolize vitamin D from the sun or pigs, for that matter, we'll get into that. Uh, or when a when a a cow metabolizes vitamins, minerals, uh, beta carotene uh, from its grass diet, okay, it stores that in its subcutaneous fat, okay, and then inside the viscera, inside the the organs, you have this additional fat, this visceral fat, whose biological function, not storage, the biological function is padding. It's like the seatbelt for your kidneys, right? And so it's it, it's called kidney fat, you know, suet, beef suet is kidney fat. And so it's wrapped around the kidneys. Uh, if you've ever seen, you know, like raw suet, 
that you you know you can buy it from some various uh, farm proprietors and whatnot. You know, the, you, you'll see little bits and pieces potentially of like red, uh, uh, fleshy. Uh, usually, what that is is sort of like leftover uh, trimmings from like the kidney, or maybe they they nicked a muscle when they were trimming it out. But but it but it's usually very clean because it's inside the organs. It's not really touching anything uh, from a meat standpoint. The reason that's important to understand is because visceral fat does not preferentially store things, okay? And so you can feed, a, and especially with a ruminant species, so I'm talking about a bunch of different things, so sorry I keep jumping around, but ruminants are multi-stomached animals. They are herbivores, okay? Uh, over here on the pig side of the house is a monogastric animal. So pigs and humans biologically are way more aligned uh, in terms of how they metabolize vitamins and minerals, how they digest things. You know, the, the rumen in a ruminant is this extra stomachy process where they, they, you know, they bring in all. It's basically a, a glorified sauerkraut. Uh, pot inside of the animal, right? They, so they, you've heard the term a cow chewing its cud, right? So a cow or any ruminant will go out and they'll, they'll harvest grass, you know, they'll mow the grass down and it goes into their rumen and it sits there and ferments for any number of, of hours, right? And, you know, and all the bugs and microbiota, we'll, we'll talk about microbiotics uh, and the microorganisms in a minute. But it sits in there and at some point they go somewhere and they sit down and cough back up this somewhat digested material and they chew it and then they swallow it and get it into their stomachs. The point is we have tallow, which is rendered visceral fat. Okay. It, you, can, you can raise a ruminant animal in any number of situations, environments. Uh, you can feed them poorly. You can crowd them up. There's a, there's a bunch of things you can do. You can even, in many respects, inject them with a hormone or an antibiotic. And the likelihood of that toxicity making its way into the visceral fat is zero. Because it's not going to, the, the animal's not going to store things in its visceral fat. Does that make sense? Fantastic. Okay, so we kill a lot of cows in this country. We eat a lot of beef. Fantastic. The market for uh, beef suet is is plentiful, right? There's so there's there's plenty of beef suet laying around, and and I would make the argument that it, from a skincare standpoint and from a toxicity standpoint, it doesn't necessarily mean as much whether you're sourcing your suet from a cafe or 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 a you know regenerative farm now there's plenty of additional benefits to sourcing from properly raised uh you know ecologically friendly uh companies you know the polyfaces of the world the primal pastures the white oak pastures you know that, that there there are uh untold benefits okay but they but but they're not directly related to the toxicity or lack thereof of the fat. Does that make sense? Fantastic. Okay. So let's flip it over to lard. Okay. So lard, there's, we use, we use three fats in our products. So I, I actually use tallow in my products. Uh, if you, if you get our, 
unscented skin food, which I think I think at this point might be our most popular product. But if you get our unscented skin food, there's four ingredients: lard, leaf lard, tallow, leaf lard, and honey. Okay, so lard is the rendered subcutaneous fat from a pig. And leaf lard is the rendered visceral fat, ergo the tallow equivalent, right, from a from a pig. Okay. Here's where here's where things get complicated. Okay. I I, I tell people that the swine is divine, but the lard is hard. Okay. Because a pig is a monogastric animal, and because they metabolize vitamins and minerals and st- they store them the same way in their subcutaneous fat, but they metabolize them differently, okay? A pig is going to metabolize way more efficiently its, its food, okay? It doesn't have all these chambered stomachs, and it's not really a fermentation process so much as it is break it down and absorb it. And so because of the nature of pig's monogastric uh, GI tract, okay, you you have to feed a pig good food, okay? You have to raise a pig in an environment where they're happy, uh, you know, get to frolic about because of the structure of their biology, which is which is one of the benefits to the advantages of lard in terms of human skin care. So pigs and humans are so biologically similar. I mean, we we train our surgeons on pigs for your listeners that didn't know that. Uh, we use pig parts in human bodies all the time. Um, Phil Ovedia, he's a heart surgeon, a good friend of mine. I, I joke with him all the time. I'm like, we're, we're, we're all part pig, but he, he takes the heart valves of a pig heart and uses that to correct and fix the heart of a human. So, so the biology is tight, right? Very, very close. And so, you know, Ryan, I, I, I'm, I'm going all over the board here. You got two kinds of fat uh, from, from two different uh, uh, gastric animals, two different animals. Uh, and, 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 and on one side of the house, this, this, this tallow, tallow is available. It's, it's everywhere. You know, you, I mean, granted, the, the, the tallow skincare market is still a fraction of, Olay and Clinique and Beauty Counter and all these big toxic juggernauts. However, the the lard is hard. You know, it's you you can't you can't just go get lard at the store because there's a good chance that lard was raised in an industrial house, fed absolute garbage, and and that will come through in the subcutaneous fat from that animal. Yeah, I think that's that's my biggest takeaway and that's kind of what i suspected i mean i figured that in general the lard would be a more similar profile to humans um but that explanation really drives it home as well as the fact that the pork industry is is really low quality and it's so hard i mean it's so hard to find good pork it's actually sad because even the good pork in the whole foods it's all vegetarian fed and you know we know what that means. It's just, you know, corn and soy and they're not really getting that, that rooting that, you know, 
getting maybe acorns or things like that. They're not eating like a consistent diet with what they would be in, in the wild, even remotely. And maybe we can talk about exactly what your, your pigs are eating. But also the tallow piece, I was always curious about that as well because I've made tallow like a fair amount and I was always unsure whether it had to be suet or it could be some sub-Q fat because I think I think people still do both. I think when people render subcutaneous fat from cows or beef, they still cook with it. I don't know oh, what sure. that would be called, but <clears throat> I think if you want to sell it, especially for skincare – like it makes sense that it would be the suet and there's obviously, um, yeah, all that impurities or, or toxins that you're mentioning would, would not be in, in the visceral fat, um, around the kidneys and, and the other organs. So I think that's really interesting. And yeah, I'm curious then, you know, how is your, how is your pigs different, um, in terms of their feed quality? What can people look for? in buying also pork that's properly raised. We talked to John Pantalone, who you know from Amber Oaks Ranch. He's like an example of someone who's raising really high quality pork, but there's so few people who are doing that. And there's zero in grocery stores. I know oh, that none. for a fact. I mean, there's literally none that I trust personally because you just don't know and vegetarian fed diet is, is bullshit. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. You just brought something up. I hadn't thought about this thread in a while. Um, okay. So the subcutaneous fat, right. Of, of a cow, you, you, you alluded to some people will render that and, and I love to render it. Here's, here's the interesting thing. So in, in a cow, in a ruminant, again, subcutaneous fat is the storage fat. Yeah. Here's a, here's a nice side, uh, sidebar for you. So if you go to this, I will not buy store-bought pork. I, I won't buy store-bought chicken. These are monogastric animals. It's a whole different ball of yarn. I, I'll buy store-bought beef. I, you know, I, I've been raising my own cows. You know, sometimes I don't have one ready for the butcher. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm good with that. So everyone's familiar with, they've been to the grocery store. If you've seen a grass-finished ribeye, and you've seen a store-bought ribeye, the biggest difference visually is the store-bought vis- uh, version is the fat is white. And in a grass-finished animal, the fat is yellow. And this, this, is, this is a perfect entree into this storage versus not. Cows store beta-carotene in their subcutaneous fat. In the absence of beta-carotene through their natural diet, ergo a feedlot, they will leach, they will pull stored beta carotene from their fat stores in order to give them their sort of daily vitamin of beta carotene. And so this is why the fat of a of a industrial, you know, feedlot uh, cow is white. Is it it's just it's just leached over that two to three months of finishing. Now, why do you not see as much rendered um subcutaneous beef fat i'll tell you why because it's damn hard to fatten up a grass finished animal in the same capacity that you can in a feedlot and so that fat you know fat's where the flavor is right and so if i'm making ground i don't i would sold beef for years i would never grind anything less than 85 15 but my standard grind was usually 80 20 so that's 20% fat, 80% meat, 
right? Well, you're you're not going to have any leftover fat to render if you're if you're doing an 80/20, you know, uh grind cuz there's just only so much to go around. And so I'm not I'm not saying not to render it and not to use it, but you're you're going to be hard pressed to find it. Yeah, no, that that's a great point by the way. Um I was just kind of asking about the the quality of of pork in the feed and maybe I'll add a little to that, right? Because we know you know, you can get away with with more with beef in terms of the fat profile and we can start talking about the saturated versus unsaturated fatty acids, which I'm also very curious about because I've heard a lot of things in the skincare space, you know, people just debate tallow versus olive oil versus, um, you know, coconut oil. And again, a lot of people actually argue that, you know, almost tallow and coconut oil is too heavy in the saturated fatty acids for like human skin. And it can depend if it's the face, the hair, the body, whatever. Um, but pork, of course, as a monogastric just naturally has higher levels of unsaturated fatty acids, but that spectrum and then the omega six to three ratio, of course, as well. And the linoleic acid content of like the industrial pork is so much higher so again, you know, what, what are you feeding, you know, your pork or your pigs? I don't know if you're, you're eating them too eventually. Um, and how is that different? Absolutely. Yeah. Good, good answer. <laughs> I'm jealous. And how is that different from feedlot pork and how is their range and their pasture different as well from feedlot pork? Great, great questions. Okay. So <clears throat> I, I'm really glad you asked this question. The industry uh, at large, the food industry puts way more emphasis and marketing dollars and shenanigans around what the animal eats, especially with pork and chicken, right? These monogastric animals. You said vegetarian fed, and I, I always laugh at that, right? Um, but the po- the point is, you can go to the store and get you can get a vegetarian fed organic, blah, 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 all the labels, all the labels on pork or chicken. And that animal grew up in a house without the sun, you know, and and with, you know, a couple hundred, and in the case of chickens, several tens of thousands of its closest friends, right? And the reason I say that is we don't give, and the consumer needs to understand the environment is is as much of the diet of any animal as as the actual food that they're eating. And I'll just I'll just say this, you know, find a 10 by 10 room, okay? And you, me, Ryan and a couple of our best buddies are going to go live in that room for 6 months. Now, every day they're going to feed us filet mignon and butter, you know, pick your optimal diet du jour, okay? And we get to eat it every single day as much as we want for 6 months. But here's the here's the deal. We got to live in this 10 by 10 room. We're going to have to figure out where to go to the bathroom, right? We're never going to see the sun, you know. So you take this optimal diet in a in a categorically not optimal environment and it's still a formula for disaster. So to answer your question about what we feed our pigs, and I don't have any pigs right now. I, I hung the farmer hat up in December. Pharaoh's starting to take off and uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a day job and I've got a, 
I've got kids and I've got this, this, uh, skincare company and so, something had to give. And, and fortunately there are a handful of really high quality farms. I'm sourcing fat from Joyce farms. I don't know if y'all have talked to the carnivore bar folks or, or the carnivore Chris folks, but Joyce is a vertically integrated pasture based, uh, meat producer out of North Carolina. Super high conviction. I, I, they're, they're, they pasture raise their pigs, uh, uh, high quality feed. Their, their level of quality in raising their pork and beef is on par, if not even maybe better than, than what I was able to do as a, as a small farmer. And so I've started sourcing from there, you know, as a full disclosure. But when I was raising pigs, I drew the line at non GMO. Uh, you know, you can get organic feed. Um, I, I personally and professionally drew the line at non-GMO. And then with the pigs and chickens, the monogastric animals specifically, we fed a soy-free diet. So uh, there's a couple of different field peas, uh, substitutes that you can grow that are um, a, a better option uh, than, than soy, even non-GMO soy. I, I don't like the GMOs because that means they can spray pretty much anything on there. And, you know, I don't know if your listeners know this or not, but we're <clears throat> we're using Roundup now in this country have been for over a decade. We're using it more as a desiccant than an actual pre-crop emergent, um, which is which is troubling because we're actually spraying that shit on our food now. Uh, I can I can unpack that real quick. So uh, a desiccant is going to kill and dry something out, which is exactly what Roundup was designed to do is just kill everything except for the the corn or the soybean that it was, you know, that's, that's genetically modified. So oats, uh, there is no GMO oat out there, but when it's time to harvest the oats to make it, um, to, to make harvest easier, right. They'll, you know, Oh, the oats are about ready. Well, here, here are our two choices. We can spray the entire field with Roundup, kill everything in there and start drying it out today. Or we can let Mother Nature run its course over the next week and a half, hope it doesn't rain, blah, 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 blah. I think we're going to spray the field. And so they kill all the oats. It dries them out quicker. You can harvest them quicker. Anyway, uh, I fed a non-GMO soy-free feed for my pigs. And, uh, you know, I don't, I appreciate this sort of PUFA argument. I think there's certainly some lines we can draw in the sand about what we should and shouldn't feed an animal. Uh, a lot of the studies I've looked at with regards to the polyunsaturated fatty acid profile of pork, all of those were done in a somewhat clinical setting. Um, and, and you said it, Tristan, you know, pigs are going to root. They're going to eat a grub worm every now and then. They're going to, they're going to, you know, chew the fungus off the side of an old, stump you know they're just they're going to eat almost anything and so i think and, and environmentally again back to the 10 by 10 room you know I, it doesn't matter what you feed us if we're stuck in this room for six months we're going to be sick and 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 not healthy and so so yeah it's a non-gmo feed the pasture setting is 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 99 of the battle um, I, I, I would even argue you could feed a, a, a monogastric animal 
poorly as long as you give them a natural environment to then go and forage and maybe grab a little extra nutrients. Almost like the, the, the pasture is the multivitamin of the pig's life, right? Sunshine and pasture, uh, you know, wooded glens, the, uh, that's, that's the multivitamin. But no, that's like super interesting. I mean, these are all things that I don't think people know almost anything about unless you explore it. And it's really cool to talk to somebody on the front lines. And like you've been there because you've done the farming as well. So you've raised these animals. So you know what it takes to raise a really healthy animal, which I think is a very valuable skill, especially when you're branching out into into the sort of skincare and stuff and you're working with other farmers that are doing the same thing. I really like this community-based idea of like you're really getting to know the whole process from start to finish of how everything is made and brought to you, not just the food, but all of these products come from different parts of the animal. So I think it's really interesting to know all of that. I think it's important too for the consumer on some level, and I probably say this, gosh, at least every episode, the last three episodes, but I think it's important to understand where everything you buy comes from. Cause I don't think that that's a very common thought in our modern society. I mean, people freak out and get outraged when they find out that the battery in their phone comes from some really poorly mined slave labored place in the middle of Africa. And then they get all pissed about it, tweet about it for about an hour, and then they go about their day still using their iPhone. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting um, where about all this stuff. I, th- I think something that really uh, interests me and maybe I'll have to check out some of your products for myself because I've really never delved into too much skincare. But um, what are um, so we talked about a lot about the environment of of how these animals are raised. Could you sort of, I mean, you've kind of done it, but I, I kind of want to know more about the step by step process of how these products all come together. Like, how are they made? Like, maybe this is a little too meta. But like, how do you, how do you make like, cause you're blending all these fats together. Like you said, one of the products yeah. contains three different types of fat. So how does that process work? This may be like a super meta question, but I'm just like, I love it. Really fascinated. All right. So let's, let's go through the, the full life cycle of Pharaoh. Okay. So, yeah. um, and, and, and I'm going to bring it all the way back to the beginning. So Pharaoh, the term Pharaoh as a noun as a noun, F, and for your listeners, F-A-R-R-O-W, not the Egyptian pharaoh. Uh, so the term pharaoh is, as a noun is a, is a term for a litter of piglets. Okay? And so as a verb, it is the act of bringing daddy pig and mama pig together. So if I'm pharaohing pigs, then I'm facilitating the reproduction process of, you know, of pork. Pharaoh as a brand, you know, is, is so, so, so there's a lot of similarity. There's a reason I chose it, right? We went through this whole brand exercise, but so Pharaoh as a brand starts with a mama pig and a daddy pig getting together. Okay. And gestation on a pig is three months, three weeks, and three days. Everyone can remember that, uh, uh, forever. And so, yeah, you have a, you have a, a, a batch of piglets, uh, come out, uh, th- you have other options if you don't want to farrow pigs and raise piglets. You can always buy what are called weaned piglets. But anyway, if you're farrowing, then you get them together. They make they make uh, bacon bits in about you know four months, and then to take to raise that that piglet from birth to what I would call market weight. Okay, so anywhere from 
275 to 325 pounds, that's generally recognized as sort of a solid market weight for a pig, is going to take about eight months, eight to eight to nine months. And so you do that. You know, Tristan said earlier, I guess you eat your pigs. Well, hell, you don't raise a pig unless you're going to eat it, right? That's that this this amazing gift God has given us, this animal. You know, they're going to have a great life and we're going to eat them. And so, you know, eight months, nine months from from birth, uh, we take them to a processor and, you know, they're slaughtered. And, you know, pork chops, bacon, sausage, ham, you know, Boston butts, all the things, right? But also is this excess, excess, pigs are very, very good at metabolizing and storing fat. So you have this excess of back fat, belly fat, and also leaf fat. Leaf lard is the is the tallow, remember? So you have this leaf fat over here, and then you've got all this extra subcutaneous fat. So what do you do with that? Well, you, you grind it up and you render it. And so that's what I was doing. I was I was rendering it and cooking with it. But then, so where, where does Pharaoh go from there? So we've got you know, imagine a kitchen countertop with three vats of fat. We got a little tallow over here. We got lard over here. And we got leaf lard. And we have our own sort of proprietary blend of these things. Y'all are, I, I'll bring this up because it's important. Because I, I use tallow in my products. Tallow at room temperature is solid as a rock. You know this. Like, you, you can't dig your finger down. It's, it, it's a balm. It's very, very solid. Uh lard is not it's it's creamy it's you know you can spoon it out all day it's 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 more akin to a traditional skin cream and so when when i was playing around with formulas you know probably it was probably six months of just tinkering with the ratio of fats in our products to sort of get the what i call the viscosity right so you know at room temperature uh if it gets too hot our stuff is liquid you know, which is the same, same for tallow, but tallow, it's a little higher liquid point. Anyway, so I've got these vats on the kitchen counter. I do the ratios. We put the honey in, it goes in a big mixer, you know, get it going, whip it up. Uh, I I say whip it up. Our early face food recipe was whipped. Um, For those, for those that don't know, uh, again, leaf lard and tallow are harder at room temperature. So if you, as they cool, as it cools in a mixer, uh, you're, you're whipping air into it and it will fluff. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, um, if you ever want to make like homemade, homemade little Debbie's, right. You know, that creamy, that creamy nuggety stuff inside the little Debbie snack cake. Maybe you don't, but I grew up with little Debbie's. And so if you want to ever want to make like the, 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 absolute most viciously amazing little Debbie cookie stuffing, then you whip a little, uh, you could use, uh, you could use like monk fruit powder, but I mean, hell just go powdered sugar and a little bit of leaf lard and whip that stuff up. And it's this like fluffy, it's, it's unbelievable. Anyway, our, our early face food recipes were, were whipped and they, and they were just luscious, like super fluffy, problem was if I shipped it to Texas in July, you know, by the time you opened up your package, it had melted 
and your full jar of cream was like half full, right? And so, so back to the manufacturing, you put all the creams in there, the honey, you, 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 you combine the ingredients. Now we're not going to whip it anymore. And then if I'm, if I'm scenting it, I'll add the scent at the very, very end. Uh, we use, we only use natural, um, organic essential oils, no, no chemical byproducts or anything like that. And so, you know, those natural oils will diffuse over time. And so I add them very last, you know, get it mixed up in the, in the batch. And then we're almost immediately, I mean, hell y'all would laugh. I mean, I'm calling you, there's my little production table right there. I'm going to do a batch this afternoon, but as soon as it's whipped up, whipped, mixed up and the, the, and the scent or unscented, but as soon as it's ready, it comes off the mixer. I pour it into a piping bag and hand pipe it into each and every jar. Pharaoh. There's from, the secret. There's yeah. the secret. I didn't need many little Debbie's, by the way. That was a no-no in the Scott household because uh, my mom was pretty health conscious. Low-key. Low-key. That was bringing back memories to me. I haven't thought about those in so long. I actually remember specifically, this is just a side note before uh, I let Tristan talk again, but my I had a personal trainer who would like smash those during our sessions. I'd go there, work out with him for an hour, and he'd just have like a box, and he would eat the whole box while watching me work out. <laughs> it was hilarious. But that's just like my side note to the Little Debbies. Yeah, the Little Debbies. That's so funny. I noticed that yeah, a lot of the tallow products are are whipped, so I wasn't sure yep. if that was like an, a normal thing. But yeah, it makes sense. You got a little bit less saturated fat content that they're going to be kind of a little lower threshold. Um, do you recommend that people store them just at room temperature is putting it in the fridge, like an okay idea at all. If it's like super warm in the summer or is, as that preserve the shelf life, uh, at all? That's a great question. I don't know that it preserves the shelf life. It, 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 a cooler environment. I generally think our tipping, tipping point for our creams is about 75, 78 degrees. Uh, you know, most, most modern homes are are um you know maintained at a temperature less than that but i it depends on what you're using the cream for you know i've got so our our skin food face food sort of a bathroom counter kitchen counter type product you know nice glass jars uh, if you want to keep it in the fridge great i want people to use our products right and so as long as you can keep it in the fridge and remember it's there then keep it in the fridge. But, um, but if you, if you do keep it in the refrigerator, again, I, I'm, I'm agnostic on this. Uh, just understand that it, it's going to be hard to dig in. It's going to be harder. Uh, it's not going to be as, um, pliable. Now it'll, as soon as it gets on your skin, it'll melt away. But I generally tell folks the shelf life of our product is six months, even though I know it's substantially longer than that. But if you, if you buy a scented product, you know, because of the natural essential oils and their ability to diffuse over time, you know, I don't want someone to buy a product from me and then decide to open it six, eight, 12 months later. And it doesn't smell like, you know, lavender and sandalwood. Um, but the, but, but the, the lard and the tallow and the leaf lard is good for a long time. It, uh, you know, the, the, the utility of these fats uh, over the long run is, unbelievable yeah and i noticed that as well like just making beef tallow bison tallow it's 
it's so nice because you don't even have to worry about it. And I think, I mean, you could vacuum seal, you could put it in the fridge, freeze it. But like in general, just at room temperature, the, the storage seems pretty in- incredible. So I know we lost Ryan. He's going to like join back here in a second. But um, I kind of also wanted to get in something he touched upon earlier. We talked about, yeah, what what's the problem with skincare traditionally, right? Like we have all these skincare options. Oh, I don't, I don't know what the number is. Maybe, you know, just the billions of dollars in this industry and it's all, you know, it's all garbage. It's all chemical garbage. And what blows my mind is how much people are paying for skincare routines. And, you know, I look at it from a holistic perspective. I think you probably agree. Um, you know, a lot of your skincare issues are a reflection of your internal health and the health of you as, as, a, as a person. But you still get breakouts. You still get sunburn, of course. And, you know, it, it happens. And, you know, dry skin out here in Utah, Wyoming is, is really common. So it's nice to have a a better, cleaner option. So I'm curious, you know, how do you market lard? What's the real issue with current skincare and how that's just destroying the microbiome on our skin? I know a motto for you and a lot of guys is if you wouldn't eat it, don't put it on your skin. Part of the problem is, is we don't recognize that our skin eats things. You know, um, if you look, if you look at consumer protection, okay, which (laughs) federally speaking is, is rather abhorrent anyway. Uh, however, uh, for, for whatever reason we take, we take the idea of eating something more seriously than we take putting something on our skin and, you know, fair enough, you know, but, but Tristan, this is part of the problem. I love, I love having this conversation. So everyone listening has eaten something in their lifetime. This is kind of like getting sunburned. Everyone's eaten something in their lifetime that did not agree with them. Okay. What happens? Well, we have an emergency evacuation out the North tunnel or South tunnel plan, right? Every, everyone's had, everyone's puked and everyone's had diarrhea. Like it's just, these are as common as the cold. It's like death taxes and diarrhea. Right. And so, and, and that is that is by evolutionary design, right? So over what, what was the greatest dietary threat? Dietary threat to humans. Arguably, it was rancid meat. Okay, mm, this is yeah. one of the reasons why we can we have two different uh, uh, smelling systems in our body. I I learned this through the pandemic because people started losing their smell and taste, right? You have two different olfactory systems, one to, uh, to smell, uh, ripe, fresh flowers and one to smell noxious. This is going to kill you kind of stuff, right? Those are two different systems. And so we're built as a species, we're built to Avoid as much as possible putting something in our mouth that's going to kill us, okay? But as a backstop, we have this microbiotic, you know, environment down there. We've got all these various uh, acids and, you know, highly acidic. We've got a, a, a backup emergency evacuation system because for millions of years, eating spoiled, rancid meat 
was not good for us. This is uh, this is actually the reason why uh, it, it, women will get uh, uh, morning sickness. They'll get food aversions, and most of the time, those aversions are around proteins because proteins could go rancid, carry bacteria and viruses and microbiotic things that would kill us or harm the fetus. And so I love talking, pulling on this thread because morning sickness and food aversions in pregnant women is, is directly tied to this gastrointestinal emergency evacuation system that we have. Okay. Now, Flip that over to skincare. And I want you to, you know, look outside in the natural environment. What are the things that were deadly to us from a naturally occurring compound standpoint? Little to none. Okay, you got you got your poison ivy over here, you got your your poison dart frog over here, but I mean, hell, you you learn to identify that stuff very quickly. But in a, you know, Tristan, in a natural ecology, there are very few things that our skin would have had to evolve to fight. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's, yeah, just some poison oak and ivy and that's about it. Yeah. yeah. So fast forward to 1938, we have the Food and Cosmetics Act of 1938. This is the preeminent inaugural sort of consumer protection federally guidelines around consumers. Uh, cosmetics at the time, this is 1938, you know, we figured out diesel gas. We're still putting lead in gas instead of taking it out. Like the, the industrial chemical and petroleum derivative choices of toxic chemical and petroleum byproducts that were applicable to our skin in 1938 are none, effectively none. And so the Food and Cosmetics Act of 1938 comes out. There are there's only one ingredient in skincare that requires pre-market consumer safety testing. That is color additives. Okay, because you got you know you got what what are you making colors out of back then? You know it's all these charcoals and various yeah, natural compounds. natural dyes. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So even even then, even back then, but we also if you look back, I mean we were putting arsenic and. Goddamn everything back then, yeah. marketing marketing it as a skincare like elixir, right? Anyway, so this act comes out. It's 1938. If you're putting a color additive in your cosmetics, you got to pre-market test it for safety. Okay. Fast forward 60 years later, 50 years later. Uh, let's see. No, it'd be about 40 some odd years. In the 70s, they updated the act. You know, this is this is more consumer protection around food and cosmetics, except for they excluded cosmetics and they excluded cosmetics again when they updated the act in the mid 2000s. So the consumer protection around chemicals that end up on our skin is written in 1938. Right. And and hasn't looked back like we, we don't. Think think of all the chemicals. Hex- so there's just no think- liability. There's no there's well, nothing being checked or tested, really. Or no, I I, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't test products. Okay, but 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 what I'm saying is, from a consumer protection standpoint, 
okay, from a consumer safety standpoint, okay, the only thing they're required to test is color additives. Mm. Fold on, this is a really important point. There's a difference between testing a product to make sure it doesn't hurt you and testing a product to see how much it helps you. You you, you follow that? 100%. yeah, and Tristan, I get this all the time. I'm talking to a a doctor in in Austin, and you know he's just beating me up. Like, where's the test? Where are the lab? Where are the where's all the results on? You know, have you done through the double blind placebo? You know, I, I'm so goddamn tired of this stuff. Like, I I get it. You know, it's like this PUFA argument. You know, well, you shouldn't use pork because it's higher in polyunsaturated fatty acids. And I'm like, well, that's not the whole story. And Suppose it is. Let's suppose that that my pork, which I doubt it is, but certainly industrial pork. Let's suppose that it's higher in PUFAs. Don't you think that eating high PUFA pork is better than than Cheerios? Like I I get so lost in the weeds with some of this like granular, like I have to have a double blind. No, pigs are so similar to humans that we use their organs inside of our bodies. Okay. Let's start there. I could pull out, I can show you on my phone. My my, my cousin's a, a junker. He's like an antiquer. His entire house is full of antique lard cans from the turn of the century. Okay. So 120 years ago, you would go to the store and bring home a 50 pound. You've seen those popcorn tins, like the popcorn tins for holidays. You would bring home a popcorn tin full of lard from the mm-hmm. store. And it would, we didn't have refrigeration. We didn't have HVAC. You know, if you were lucky, you had like a, a spring fed, like, you know, uh, larder, like off your little, you know, farmhouse. Cause you happen to live on a Creek if you were lucky, but this, this 50 pound can of lard sat in your room temperature, whatever the elements were up to that day house. And you, cooked with it you fried with it you, you were you were freaking covered in lard all the time all the yeah. time i want to harp on this point for a little bit because i think it's really important and especially in the health sphere well first off i completely agree with you that the whole show me the study bro mindset is infuriating when logic prevails history has you know these contexts contextual points that we can refer back to and the whole poofa argument i've written about it a lot as well because you know some people would be like oh well don't eat salmon it's all like poofas i was like like come on people like you need to think in the context of whole foods natural foods right if you're eating a whole food form of polyunsaturated fat that's raised in the environment it should be raised in and we just talked to, you know, we published an episode with Stefan von Fleet, who does all this research. We don't even understand the synergism that's going on. So, yeah, it could be higher in polyunsaturated fats, but there's likely some more downstream metabolites compared to a highly processed, chemically extracted seed oil that's sitting in a clear bottle, rancid on the shelf, that's full of deodorizers, that's full of color additives like these are not the same thing so you can't just pin it down to linoleic acid it's the whole food form so i i completely agree with you and that's why i don't i don't fear polyunsaturated fats and yeah (laughs) tristan you 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 know they they bleached 
Crisco white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, because everyone was coming home from the store with a 50 pound can of lard, which is white. I love, I love that you brought they up like wanted- the odor. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the seed oils are yellowish because they want it to be like more buttery like, right? Like there, it's all a psyop of marketing and, and hitting those stimulation you know, in your brain be like, Oh, that's, you know, the cooking oil color. And yeah, again, 50 oil, you know, people had these tubs of lard and, you know, heart disease in 1900 was, was way lower. So, you know, it's, uh, come on, just, just think logically for once. And, um, you don't need a, you know, a study to prove everything and half the studies out there all biased, but you know, the chemicals, yeah, I don't know, Ryan, if you're going to ask something about that, because I think maybe harping a little bit on what's actually in these products is is quite shocking. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to get into that. Um, one thing I want to make on your point, Tristan, and your point, Charles, too, about about just omega-6 fats in general is like after talking to Stefan Van Fleet about saturated fat, the differences between saturated fat and a grain-fed cow versus a grass-fed, grass-finished cow are actually different as well. So you could also make that assumption that the fats in a properly raised monogastric animal are going to be different than in a standard fed, whatever they do in the normal feedlots for cows and chickens would be slightly different as well and maybe even have a different effect on the human body. So there's all these nuances that we're just getting into and just barely understanding, but everyone wants a boogeyman in every scenario to blame something on. And I mean, the thing is, normal doctors do this too in a different extent, but you really just got to open your mind to that everything affects everything. And so it's never going to be usually A equals B or A plus B equals C always. So it's a little bit different. But yeah, let's talk about some of these chemicals because I think people don't really know what they're putting on themselves at all. And so, so I think it'd be cool to get into that. And my dad's just for preface, my dad has worked in the pharmaceutical business for his entire career. And so I hear a lot about FDA audits like constantly. And so I get to hear about the process of the FDA coming in and looking at operations from a pharmaceutical standpoint. And I'm not majorly impressed. So I think people live under this umbrella delusion of, oh, well, we have the FDA and all these sort of organizations of the government that are keeping us safe and making sure that blah, blah, blah doesn't happen. But Roundup is banned in all of Europe and not here. Why is that? Why are there all these cancer scares coming from Roundup, et cetera? So yeah, let's talk about some of these chemicals and and sort of the the things that maybe people aren't thinking about. Yeah, happy to. Well, I mean, I'll keep it. I'm just a dumb farmer that slings lard sometimes. So I'll I'll keep it kind of high level. Uh, There are... Uh, there are 11 prohibited chemicals for use in skincare in the United States of America. This is, this is, you know, the, the list, uh, by the FDA. So the FDA says you can't use these 11 chemicals when you're making skincare. Flamaldehyde not being one of them, by the way. Uh, apparently it's great for anti-aging. It just like strips the layer of skin off, you know, whatever. There are, by contrast, and you said this, Ryan, you know, I, I, I love to look at the EU. You know, they're, they're, you, you brought up Roundup. So it's not illegal over there, but the parts per million. Uh, I, I actually, there's some countries, I think, that are making it illegal in, in the EU now. But, but their parts per million, their tolerance level for parts per million 
uh, in the EU is like 10 times lower than ours in the US. Uh, by contrast, again, there's so many similarities between food and, and cosmetics because they all should be born out of the same place, the farm. Anyway, yeah, there's over 1,300 chemicals on the controlled, banned, uh, banned or highly regulated uh, uh, list of ingredients in skincare in the EU. So 11 in the US, over 1,300 in the EU. And, uh, you know, what, what are these chemicals doing? So this, this is a fun origin story. So, you know, back to the sunburn, right? And holy cow, this, the lard works in mysterious ways, right? That's, 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 we say that all the time. So what did I do? I got on the Google and I DIY'd, right? Uh, how do you make skin cream? Well, you take distilled water and you take a fat, you know, in my case, it was lard and you get an emulsifier, you know, that was the beeswax and you heat it all up. This is, you know, again, DIY, this is how you make it. And so I make these creams, Ryan, they were so luscious. These, these, these water-based lard creams were stupid, right? So lusciously good until seven or eight days later when they went rancid and looked like a Petri dish of black mold. Okay. That's not going to work. So then, you know, what's the next DIY Google? You know, essential oils that are antibacterial, antimicrobial. Okay, here's some lavender and here's some this. And here. So I start just pouring that shit in to, to make my next batch. Again, luscious, beautiful. Could, couldn't beat it until 7, 8, 12 days later, even after putting it in the fridge, it turns black. Okay. I, I did not make the next step. I, I, you know, intuitively, I was, again, back to intuition. Well, it's not the fat that's causing this. It has to be the water because Lord knows I, I pour my bacon drippings in a coffee cup, you know, every, every day after cooking bacon. And it just sits on my kitchen counter for months and never goes bad. It can't be the fat. And so what do I do? I take the water out. This is when the tallow starts to come in. So we start playing with these ratios of creaminess. But here's the point. Your skin, our skin is covered in all these bugs. You know, we've got this huge microbiome. It's so funny because this light did not turn on for me probably until six or eight months after we'd launched the company. I was like, holy shit, I forgot. So the chemicals in uh, parabens is a, is, a, is a common culprit. Parabens are, you know, this derivative uh, that are uh, antibacterial, anti it's a preservative. It also disrupts our endocrine system. It's an estrogen signaling compound. There's all sorts of other nefarious shit going on with it. But why is it there? It's there to keep bacteria from growing. Well, the problem is your skin's covered in bacteria. Why is it our skin covered in bacteria? Hell, I don't know. We understand less about our microbiome than we do about space. We're, we're learning as we go, but but intuitively, intuitively, if we weren't supposed to be covered in five to seven pounds of bugs, you know, here two million years, three million, thirty million years into our into our evolution as a species, then they wouldn't be there. So intuitively. They're there for a reason. Is it a is it a is it a uh, a microscopically thin line barrier between us and the sun? So it's like our natural, you know, sunscreen. Maybe is it 
Is it, uh, I, in fact, I've thrown this question out to some biologists and, and I haven't got an answer yet. Is it, are these little organisms the things that uh, consume and protect us from when we do brush up across that, uh, hypothetically, that poison ivy plant and get that oil on our skin? You know, is that microbiome there to, to bludgeon the effects of that? I don't know. What I do know is that when you take a conventional scream, cream where the first ingredient is water, that's, that's the, the line for everyone listening. If the first ingredient is water, put it back on the shelf or buy it as a gift for someone you don't like, right? So get the water out. My point is there are chemicals and compounds in that cream that dysregulate your endocrine system, estrogen signaling, all the other stuff, and they kill bacteria. So rubbing it on your skin, which is covered in bacteria, is a really good way for you to napalm your natural skin biome. Now, will it grow back? Sure, at some point. Hopefully, if you're not putting the cream on every day, it'll grow back. And so, you know, Ryan, I'm not a chemist. I'm not a scientist. I I just sort of sit back here and go, you know, intuitively, we're an animal. Pigs are an animal. Uh, We're a monogastric animal that loves the sun. They're a monogastric animal that loves the sun. Bacon tastes delicious. Look what else I can do with this amazing fat that comes off this animal. That's, I leave it there. Yeah, I, I think it's so important because, you know, people, we've become more knowledgeable about the gut microbiome. Um, I mean, people still take a ton of antibiotics, you know, the, the normal folks, but at least in the health space, it's like, yeah, it's all about the gut microbiome, yada, yada. But people forget we have a skin microbiome. We have an oral microbiome that's extremely important as well. I mean, like it's everywhere on your body. You have to realize that. So I think it's really important. I've definitely come a long way the past three years as well. And I'm super minimalist. And then, yeah, only using really animal-based uh, products or, you know, one, two, and three ingredient products for, for skincare when needed. So I guess, you know, as we wrap up here, like I kind of mentioned it being like a skincare being like a holistic uh, view on your health and, you know, tallow, lard, these products are fantastic when you need them. But how do you kind of educate people and, and tell people how to achieve, you know, great skincare from the inside out in terms of, you know, a health routine? What have you found, you know, through your paleo days that, you know, works the best for just, you know, having great skin and uh, on the on the front lines kind of before you get to these autoimmune issues or, or things like that? Yeah, Tristan, great. So uh, am I talking to a man or a woman? Because because those are two different conversations. Uh, most, most men, well, everybody has a skincare routine. They may or may not recognize it as a routine. Uh, I would say, and this is uh, for the male audience in particular, this has actually been an advantage for men is because we're, we're not real thick and heavy in the skincare routines by and large, but we do have routines. You know, we shave, we, you know, wash, we, you know, there's, there's some routines in there. Um, but I think having being arm's length away from skincare has actually been advantageous for men, uh, over the years, uh, cause it's all pretty much toxic, but yeah. So eight hours of sleep, you know, half your body weight in uh, ounces of water a day, 
you know, we, 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 we touched on it, but you know, the microbiome in your stomach, well, listen, I got news for you. The preservatives they put in prepackaged shelf stable products that keep them from going moldy. And, you know, that's, that's disrupting your gut microbiome when you consume these highly preserved, highly processed foods as well, similar to what highly processed, highly preserved uh, skincare is doing to your external microbiome. So, you know, getting, getting highly processed, highly palatable foods, uh, hyper palatable is what I should say, get those out of your diet. You know, they're healthy skin. There are two sides to that coin. Right. And so there's this underlying, you know, fortunately I've never, I've never had the chronic side of skincare problems. You know, I've had my razor burn, but I haven't had razor burn in like three years. Uh, I've had my sunburns. I've had all these acute situations pop up, but I'm very fortunate. I've never had a, you know, eczema or a psoriasis, which again, there's usually two sides to that coin. There's this external symptomatic like rash or whatever outbreak, but then there's an underlying dietary, usually on the autoimmune spectrum situation. So just generally, general advice for anyone that wants to look and feel their best, you know, get you a couple hours of sun every day. I mean, certainly the minimum, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of sunshine, uh, preferentially, you know, a couple minutes of sun staring or just getting that that early morning sun in your eyes, you know, do the same thing in the evening, but just, you know, what do they say? 15 minutes of direct sun is, is sort of like the, the minimum threshold. Get outside, get some sun. Um, you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to take a chance, do it at noon, you know, in Florida and uh, you know, you might get a little pink, but I got a pro I got a product for you. If you, if you do get a little bit burned, but yeah, uh, seven to eight hours of sleep, um, you know, hang out with some friends every now and then put your damn phone down, you know, a couple hours, you know, get your eyes off a screen a couple hours before bed, you know, eat, eat some steak and butter and, uh, grab you a pork chop and some bacon every now and then. I mean, it's just generally good at skin. I mean, we weren't, we weren't talking about this shit a hundred years ago and everybody ate lard and beef and, and, you know, they, would they eat bread? Yes, but it was bread that they baked from wheat that they harvested, right? We've outsourced and, and given these food companies so much control uh, and convenience. I, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, to, to not say that convenience is awesome, but at what cost? Like if we're going to completely outsource our food to Procter & Gamble, but uh, for convenience, you know, oh my gosh, this, I'll tell you a quick funny story. Uh, before I ever got close to launching, this is an early product development. I have a, 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 a friend of mine from college who she she spent probably a decade in the C-suite level of, of a number of cosmetics companies. Right. She's very, very smart lady, uh, highly accomplished. And I called her. I was like, hey, thinking about bringing bringing launching a skincare company. This is this is no exaggeration. The first question out of her mouth. No, not not. Hey, it's great. Oh, I'm excited. That's fantastic. And she's an all she, she's C-suite, right? She's all business all the time. First question out of her mouth was, what's the shelf life of your product? I said my answer was, I think it's six months. It could be longer, but I have trials going on now. You know, I'd made a batch and I'd open them every month and document, you know, did they smell OK and all that. She goes, you don't have a skincare company. What do you mean? Minimum shelf life 
for you to have a skincare company in my world is two years, two years, right? Because it's got to be able to, you got to be able to make it in mass in this, you know, Willy Wonka style industrial sludge factory. And then it's got to, then it's got to ship, you know, and then it's got to sit on a warehouse shelf for six months. And then it's got to go to the retailer and, and maybe it sits on the shelf there for another two months before someone comes on and, and buys it. And that was so, it was so telling to me that first of all, I was onto something. And secondarily, the entire skincare market is set up to freaking poison us. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, just look at the ingredients. Like it's like a, a paragraph of stuff nobody can pronounce. I mean, it's worse than food. Like in food, you can actually, all right, calcium phosphate, you know, blah, 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 citric acid. Like these are almost things that you can pronounce um, in skincare products. It's like the whole slew of just petrobased chemicals that nobody has any idea or shampoos. I mean, the whole personal care space is just, it, it's actually insane. But I really want to, you know, just summarize, highlight everything you said. It's really important. The 10 by 10 box the lifestyle, the environment that, you know, your yourself as a human and the pigs are raised in is probably just as important, if not more important, like you said, 99% of that. And people could learn a lot from that. I know we harp a lot about diet in the mainstream health space because I think it's a very tangible thing that people can change in their, in their lives. And it does matter, but you could probably move the needle even more if like you're saying you get outside, you're moving, you know, leave the phone at home. <clears throat> We're big on that. So I'm really just really happy to to hear you say that. And we know the sun, when you get the right amount of sun, I mean, it's, it's, it's great for your skin. It's not gonna, you know, give you skin cancer if you have that solar callus and build up appropriately and get the melanin that you need to protect yourself. So that's all fantastic. Um, we could learn a lot from pigs. It seems like clearly we could be part pig even, but Charles, thank you so much. Where can people find Ferris skincare? What are some of the products you have? Maybe just, I think you got a new one out, right? Something dermis. And, <laughs> That's, yep. And yeah. yeah, where can people find you? Sure. So, uh, the website is pharaoh.life, uh, F A R R O W dot life is the website. I believe, uh, I think Instagram is Pharaoh Skin. I think Twitter is Pharaoh Life. Uh, I'm still still trying to keep up with all the social media channels. But yeah, uh, we have we have four products. We just launched Epic Dermis. Um, man, I can't believe I don't have one sitting out here to, to show you. But yeah, we just so our our flagship products are our face food uh, for the face and skin food for sort of the neck down, and then we have a CBD elixir. Uh, remember that, uh, fateful sunburn moment. We were, uh, I have, uh, some high quality CBD that I track sort of seed to seal. And so we use that as a sublingual elixir in what we call our total skincare bundle. So this is again, sort of a bathroom counter, kitchen counter, sort of, uh, trifecta of, of skin goodness. Uh, you can buy them separately, but no, we just launched Epic Dermis, which is a portable packable, uh, aluminum tube. You know, take it on the go. Epic lives, you know, are hard on your skin, uh, and and it's a, it's at a lower price point as well. I think that retails for forty bucks. Um, highly effective stuff I, across the board. All of our stuff. Little goes a really long way. Uh, for your listeners, 
you know, if they, um, uh, the, the code first order, uh, will save them 15% on, on anything they want to try. And we, we ship, good Lord, we ship anywhere in the contiguous U.S. And now we're shipping, I just shipped something to South America the other day and Canada and who knows where else. So. No, that's awesome. So like you, you have skincare and, and body care or face care. What's the difference between like face care and body care? Fantastic products? question. Yeah. So, um, the difference is we, we formulated our face food. It's a little lighter. Um, and we use more leaf lard. You remember the whole storage conversation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So leaf lard at the turn of the century was prized as a baking fat. So making your biscuits or your pancakes, because, because it's not a storage fat, leaf lard is odorless and colorless, right? And so it, and, and tasteless, there's no, there's no flavor to it. And so it would not impart a flavor on your biscuits. It would let the biscuits come through, right? Uh, lard, by uh, contrast, does store all of those flavors and smells. And so our face food product is formulated to have for lack of a better term, less animal fat smell up by your nose. Um, I don't, uh, you know, and it's fantastic. It's a face food is fantastic. The skin food is neck down, more lard, further away from the nose, um, you know, a little bit more honey, a little bit more essential oil. And of course, that's, I'm, I'm referring to our scented product there, but scented and unscented products. And, um, but yeah, I, the, the the skincare world industry demands that you treat the skin on your face differently. And so rather than trying to ha- like walk through hurdles, convincing some woman in Nebraska that the, 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 the skin food we have will work great on your face. Here's a face product and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. makes sense. I mean, I, I've, I've always wondered that because there's always the face products versus the body products. And so I wondered like what the what the actual difference was the, the the difference is not in biology the difference is in beatings like my yeah. elbow goes on the table right i don't take my lower eye and and like and like prop it up against a tree like my hand or my elbow or my shoulder goes against the tree not my not my lower eyelid right and so it's yeah. it's biologically very similar very i mean it's 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 biologically the same it's a wear and tear issue uh by and large um which which i i I, let me end on this point uh i know we got to go at some point um we do women especially but men too we tend to wash this a lot more uh forgetting all the psyop pandemic and you know hand sanitizing you know by the hour and all that but Generally speaking, in a, in a daily, weekly, or monthly routine, human beings at large will soap and wash their face substantially more than the rest of their body, especially, especially women, you know, taking off the makeup of the day and all that. I would encourage everyone to not use so much soap, you know, a warm water, a, a washcloth, uh, you know. When you soap, you're stripping away all the natural oils that your body does produce, which thereby encourage overproduction of natural oils, right? And so um, that's a, that's another, back to Tristan's uh, thread earlier, like optimal 
skin health. Like don't strip all the oil off your skin all the time. No, that's, it's so important. I I use less soap now than I ever have in my life. And I think my skin looks better. I, I feel better. I just use warm water on my face. Actually, I don't use any soap now. I think people, it's so funny because it's literally the opposite of what all these mainstream dermatologists, I mean, pretty much anything with the sun exposure too, it's the total opposite. So I think it works. It makes sense. Keep that natural skin microbiome thriving. If you do need some assistance, it's dry, get sunburn. Pharaoh is there for you. So Charles, thank you so much for coming on. We re- really appreciate it. And thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of Decentralized Radio. We'll see you next time.